And welcome to another episode of the Green Screen Podcast. My name is Ben, your host, and I am joined today by... Hello, I'm Corbin Goodermote. Hi, I'm Connor Kamlik. And I'm Eliana Sandra. And today we are going to be talking about our own personal uh, definitions of sustainability. Uh, this is something I think it's really important to discuss um, because everybody does have their own small definition of sustainability, whether it is some people, um, like my friend John, for instance... Um, he always says that he likes to be in tune uh, with nature. So he likes to live off of his own gardens, off of his own products that he produces. Uh, but to some people, uh, especially if you're living in a suburban area, they don't have the luxury of living off of their own stuff. So how are, you know, what is their definition of sustainability going to look like? And how do we adjust our lifestyles to, I guess, everybody, everybody's personal definition, and then how do we come up with a, a broad enough definition to to encompass everybody within that sustainability blanket? So uh, I guess first question I'll ask Connor, um, our guest on the show. So if you were to put sustainability into your own words, I guess how would you define sustainability? Yeah, I think I'd more relate to your friend John um, in a sense that it connects me to nature. Uh, I did grow up in an area where we had 15 acres, so I was able to get an experience with, like, hunting, um, gathering, kind of, like, growing my own food um, with that whole process. Um, I do eat a vegetarian diet, so um, I would consider that as a more sustainable diet than one of a meat eater. I understand that that is a privilege that I am allowed Um and that it does cost more than um, somebody who does eat meat. And I understand that, that we're not at a place as a society where everybody can be on a vegetarian diet and eat mm -hmm. that way um, while still getting the nutrients they need. Mm -hmm. um, I think just doing anything that you can to connect yourself to nature and kind of help the earth in any way that you can would be considered sustainability. Absolutely. Corbin? Yeah. Well, I think I kind of um, align more with Connor, too, in ways. I feel like I'm still kind of defining my own, um, what it means to be sustainable. But I'd say for me, when I think about it, I just think about being in nature. Um, growing up, I did a lot of camping with my family, and mm -hmm. I know like that was always like a super great part of my year we we, you, we we used to go once a year we still go once a year but we would go for we go for a week and we'd have no cell service we'd bring our own food we cook our own food for the entire week and but yeah just basically just kind of living off of what we had and what we could find and I don't know for me I feel like that probably really defined sustainability for me so now I I see it as being in tune with nature but also just being able to I would, yeah, define it as being in tune with nature and um, being able to just, I guess kind of what Connor said, just being able to 
use what's around you as um as much as you can mm -hmm. yeah yeah all right so for me sustainability is kind of just protecting the earth um i'm sure everyone knows about climate change it's a really big deal and it's really affecting our daily lives sustainability to me is combating that mm -hmm. okay yeah <laughs> true bestie <laughs> so yeah um and i guess the way i've always looked at sustainability is i come from a very engineering background and statistics heavy um, engineering background so i've always looked at sustainability as a complete numbers game so any energy that i consume in my home um, that goes towards a carbon footprint any time I go to the store and consume gas, that's towards my carbon footprint. And the way that I've always looked at it is if I can personally alleviate my carbon footprint and then make up for another person's carbon footprint, that to me is, is really being truly sustainable, is um, being able to sit and realize how much energy and how much carbon you're putting in the air and finding ways to take that out, whether that is planting your own garden so you don't have to drive somewhere or... Um, you know, installing a solar system with a battery so that even if the sun isn't shining, you have a little bit of backup power until the sun is shining again, right? Um, so those, to me, that is my true definition of sustainability. And of course, incorporating things like sustainable fishing, like the gardens, um, like a sustainable diet, I think that's all really important to really drawing down your carbon numbers. But I think the ultimate goal for me is that, that end number um, that, you know, I'm putting X amount of carbon into the air with every purchase that I make, with every, every place that I go, how do I take that out? And currently, you know, one of the challenges that, of course, I face as a student is I don't have money to buy a Tesla, right? I don't have the money to put a solar panel. Um, the place that I'm renting, maybe they don't want to. Maybe it's not financially feasible for them to put a solar array on this apartment building that uh, I'm staying in, right? So those are all things that I look at. And, you know, how do, how do I influence those people that are able to make the decisions, that have the money? How do I influence my apartment owner to put a solar panel on this roof? How do I go to campus where I'm using their facilities and influence them to be more sustainable? Because they are ultimately the people that have that final say and have the money to make my carbon budget zero. Right, so until I'm financially stable, those are the things that I try to focus on. And you know, with this committee um, and student association, I guess that overall is for the year my overarching goal. Um, and of course, from that, we have initiatives like aquaponics gardens. We have initiatives like this, you know, pot of plant events or or things like that, where we can help reduce everybody's carbon budget a little bit. I'm going to take just a little bit more carbon out of the air. So that's how I've always looked at sustainability, and that's a really long-winded definition of it. <laughs> um, but, but I guess that's, yeah, that, that's where I'm coming from when I talk about sustainability. So um, I guess you guys picture sustainability as an in-tune with nature. What does that look like in you know, your daily lives? How do you guys connect with that nature to make sure that you guys are being sustainable by your definition? Corbin. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think, I guess as a student, I try to walk to school as much as I can. I don't live too terribly far from campus, especially 
you know, when it's warmer out, it's kind of, it's a really nice walk. And it's really good, I mean, as far as, you know, not having to use gas and all that stuff. But it's also really, really kind of almost grounding in a way um, mm -hmm. where you can just kind of like turn your phone on silent, you know, don't listen to music, none of that stuff. Just put your phone in your backpack and just walk to school and kind of just be one with nature. And you kind of realize a lot of stuff. And I don't know, for me, like this, I walk to school over the summer a lot. And um, I don't know, it kind of just made me like think about all the stuff that we do as a society that is, I guess, like extra, like we don't need to be doing these things. Like, mm -hmm. for instance, like driving to school when you only live a few blocks away, um, you know, throwing out, I guess this is kind of, I don't know, I feel like we talked about this in one other thing, but like, being like not composting like I remember I, I know walking past all of co the college houses that I live by mm -hmm. I'm looking at garbage cans that are filled to the brim and you know just like even just like peeking into it like there's cans in there there's like cardboard there's so much stuff that you could recycle and there's tons of food scraps and I know not, not everyone can um compost and stuff like that but it's mm -hmm. just the way it is I guess and I don't know bringing it back to being one with nature mm -hmm. and that being my, I guess, be all definition of sustainability. Mm -hmm. I guess it's just really, I think everyone should just take at least five, 10 minutes out of their day just to be outside and no, you know, no technology, nothing like that. Like it's, I don't know, it's really grounding and it's really nice to kind of just like have that moment to think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I guess you mentioned phones and turning off your phones. Um, how many hours a day do you guys typically use your phones? Too and many. Too many? Too many. <laughs> uh, yeah. Too many. I believe I have a screen time, screen time of six hours. Yeah, and that's that's crazy. That's a full-time job. Mm. Like, yeah. That, yeah. And just, um, I think, going off of what Corbin said, like, you don't need to, like, walk into the wilderness and just turn off everything and mm -hmm. just be one with nature. I think as a society, we're not at a point where that is necessary. I think we need to choose alternatives that allow us to be more connected with nature, benefiting nature rather than causing its demise. I think a trend that's going around right now is like thrifting, which I think is really a good um, idea. Mm -hmm. uh, clothing consumption has gone up immensely in the past couple of years with fast fashion brands. And just by thrifting, you're not really connecting with nature in that sense. You're just connecting, you're just benefiting nature, honestly. Instead of that clothing ending up in a landfill or in um, water sheds that could be used for other things. You are using that clothing, giving it a second life, and it was just discarded by somebody. So I think that's a really cool idea, um, and that's a great way to be sustainable, especially as mm -hmm. a college student. It's a cheaper alternative to buying new clothes. I know that with sustainability a lot, of the apprehension comes from the cost. Um, mm -hmm. Like Ben was saying, you can't really influence a landlord to put solar panels on a, a an apartment complex. 
You can't tell your university that you want it to be 100% green energy, um, powered by wind, powered by solar. Mm -hmm. All of those costs immense amount of money, mm -hmm. but by doing little things like walking to school, like Corbin said, and by thrifting and by carpooling even, um, you create little impacts and if everybody starts doing those things, it's going to create this big impact globally and reduce that carbon emission. Yeah, so as Connor was saying, definitely little things impact our everyday lives and it can definitely help the earth. Um, stuff like thrifting, I love going to farmers markets so you don't have to be supporting big businesses um, that probably use not great energy um, for the earth. Little things. I live in a place where I can't compost, but as soon as I am able to, I think composting is a really good thing to do. Um, it releases good energy into the air. Um, it mm -hmm. does. <laughs> <laughs> so, as a group, um, I guess, where do we stand on understanding how energy is created and how it gets to our homes? Yeah, so I have a very little understanding on how energy is created. I know like the sources are fossil fuels, wind, solar are the three main ones. Um, I know that we're trying to lean towards more renewable energy that doesn't cause as much um, CO2. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I'm kind of like blank. I don't support <laughs> greenhouse gases going into the air. Um, I know a lot of people don't. Mm -hmm. um, but just kind of transitioning to that greenhouse gas. Okay. Well, and, and that's totally fair. You know, I find that whenever I have this kind of conversation with a lot of people, um, the whole, you know, we know we get energy from sources like coal and, and natural gas, but, you know, a lot of the process of how to do that, um, I feel like is, is kind of misunderstood or not fully understood. So, you know, in any power plant that you go to or you see nuclear, wind, solar, you know, anything, uh, one of the main forms of generation they're going to use is steam. So in a coal plant, they throw a bunch of coal into a furnace and they boil water. And they use the steam to turn a turbine. And the turbine turns and sends electricity down a power line. So um, one of the ways that we look at creating a more sustainable fuel source is to eliminate coal plants and replace them with natural gas plants because coal plants when you throw in coal to the plant the coal's just gonna burn right but with a natural gas plant you have the ability to throttle how much natural gas is going into your power so when we talk about places like Minnesota Power and XL Energy um, and all these really big energy companies uh, I'll, I'll be the first to say you know there was a a demonstration over the last weekend on campus that was going to prevent a fossil fuel plant from being built in Superior, right? Because Minnesota Power is trying to retire all of their fossil fuels. Um, and a lot of people 
this is my personal opinion, but a lot of people don't understand that you know, to retire the really old fossil fuels, the ones that are really inefficient, you have to first look at the ones that have, are required to run all the time, right? Um, so you look at you know, the coal plants that you just throw in the coal, right? And it's, it's there. You have to get the coal from somewhere. With a natural gas facility, yes, fracking the natural gas to get it to the facility isn't very environmentally friendly, but um, being able to throttle the amount of gas that is being burned so that if you have a renewable source that is really, really generating energy on one particular day, you can throttle down your natural gas plant. So, you know, looking at this grand plan that a lot of places have, I feel like a lot of the pieces that are missing is, you know, those intermediate steps. How do we get there? How do we short-term reduce our carbon emissions so that we can make a really, really long-term impact? And of course, replacing those fossil fuel plants like coal plants with, you know, I guess, quote-unquote, less impactful fossil fuel plants um, is one of those first steps that we take. So another step that, you know, I've, I've been in a little bit of the energy business. I'm no, by no means an expert. Um, but I know that another big inhibitor for businesses when it does come to sustainability is the power companies themselves, right? Because the power companies live on you pay for energy and then we, we provide that energy to you, right? So one of the big drawbacks to sustainability in general is when you go out and you want to buy a solar panel and hook your building, you know, say this apartment complex, right, into the power grid, if you were to replace your entire building's energy with solar, the power company is going to stop you from doing that. Because when you do that, the power company loses a ton of money, especially on the big commercial, you know, manufacturing plants. Those are a huge source of energy or uh, income for those power companies um, because they're consistently running all day, 24 hours. They've got somebody on staff. They're using huge machinery. So to lose that, you know, as a big commercial business, you know, energy companies, again, lose a ton of revenue. So they're going to prevent you in any way they can from doing that, from being sustainable. So what a lot of these power companies do is they offer an incentive for, um, for buyers. So if you want to buy renewable energies, you can buy these things called renewable energy credits. And all the revenue that a power company makes from those energy credits, it goes towards building a new renewable facility or building out a new power storage facility. So there's a lot of these really, I guess, intricate systems that a power company has to utilize um, along with, of course, there's going to be government, um, government mandates that you have to have you know, a safe facility and yada yada, and that's going to cost extra money. Um, but when you look at the power company in general, they have a lot of plans going forward, but it's, it's very difficult that, for them to execute that because, you know, as soon as they start to execute those plans, they lose out on a lot of energy or a lot of money. So, apologies, I just, I rambled, but. <laughs> Do you foresee power companies completely changing to renewable energy in the future? Um, if so how near in the future and do you think that these incentives that they're doing right now are leading them to that? I think, to answer the first question, I think power companies are on a good track to run off of completely renewable sources. But the big stipulation that comes with that is of course you have to have a constant supply of renewable energy 
and as a society, um, we just aren't there yet, right? I mean, you saw what happened in Texas a couple of years ago, where they were relying a lot on wind energy, but their wind turbines froze, right? So they didn't have another area that they could go and get renewable energy from, like the Dakotas, right? They just weren't hooked up to the Dakotas power grid or the California power grid. Um, all those renewable sources, we just didn't have enough of them. So um, I do think we're on track to hit a fully renewable energy system. Um, I just think it is... It has to be so widely accepted and widely pushed for um, right now that it will be fairly slow progress until those large commercial solutions like wind turbines and like, you know, industrial solar panel fields, those become a little more financially feasible. And the government's starting to do stuff like that, right? They give a lot of tax incentives. I think I mentioned in an earlier podcast. Uh, a depreciation bonus for solar panels. So if a company buys them, it's like when you drive a car off a lot, it depreciates right away. But as a business, you're able to collect those depreciation um, dollars back into your tax return. So they're doing things like that, which are incentives. They have a lot of grants that go into um, sustainable measures. I think one of the biggest challenges um, one of the biggest inhibitors is, again, the consistency of energy that comes with renewables. I think batteries and power storage, whether that be a thermal storage system to store the steam um, before it gets turned into a turbine, uh, things like that are required um, as well for power companies to really increase the impact of an industrial scale renewable energy systems. So that, again, wordy answer, but um, I do think that we're on the right track and a lot of companies are making leaps and bounds and trying to do that. There's a lot of companies that are trying to make more sustainable products so that the end user, you know, you and me, we pay less in our energy bill. So they might be using a lot of energy to produce the products, but the products that they're producing, traditionally that, you know, the ones that use a lot of energy, they're now using you know, 20%, 30% less energy than they did 10 years ago, which is um, a great direction as a society that we're moving. So, yeah, I see that too. Um, I think a lot of products are shifting towards a more um, durable model so that even if they do use a lot of energy in producing that product, they have to produce less of that product in the long run leading to less energy being produced, less carbon being produced. I think innovation within the um, technology industry, too, is leading us to a more sustainable um, globe. Mm -hmm. I think that technology is growing exponentially, and in, by 2030 we could be on track to be carbon neutral, be in a spot where we could rely solely on renewable energy. I know that that is a controversial topic, um, and getting to that point will require a lot of um, motivation from those that support sustainability. Mm -hmm. So to everybody listening to this podcast, um, kind of just do what you can to move that along. Absolutely. Well, and... What are some of the technologies that you're excited for that you think are really 
you know, what technologies have you already seen in 2021 um, that get you excited for sustainability and where we're moving in the future? Yeah, so I know electric cars have been a thing for a while. I think um, that solar power cars, I've seen a couple um, just models for cars that run on solar, and I think that is a great idea. I know that there are some concerns on charging your car um, if there is overcast or if it's night, if you're going for a long drive. Um, but I think just that technology kind of even just being expressed is a really mm -hmm. cool idea. Um, I did a research project on hydrogen-fueled cars um, mm -hmm. and that releasing water vapor instead of carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think transportation is a big producer of that carbon, so that's what I've been focusing on. Mm -hmm. um, and how I can limit my carbon footprint. I know that those are very expensive options, um, <laughs> especially for a college student. Absolutely. Um, but just kind of implementing that technology elsewhere too. Uh, if we can have a car powered by hydrogen and have it produce water vapor, mm -hmm. why can't we have a building powered by hydrogen producing water vapor? Mm -hmm. um, and I think those questions need to be brought up to the industries that are creating a lot of that carbon gas. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, when we talk about where most of our carbon budget goes in the U.S., it's been really interesting. I think the EPA or the EIA, you know, one of the one of the two big environmental government agencies they have recently come out, or they do a graph every single year of where the energy goes. Um, and they've recently started doing graphs of the carbon budget of the U.S. And one of those graphs shows, you know, the breakdown between buildings, transportation, um, and then there's like industrial processes, so machines that are running all the time. And what was really, really interesting in that is, although transportation, it is a big portion of the energy, it's like 32% of the energy that we use comes from transportation, 46% of the energy that we use comes from our buildings, whether that's residential or industrial buildings or schools. Um, and then the other large portion of that obviously comes from machines running um, that, you know, we just, we can't prevent. Um, coal generation, that kind of thing. So, you know, when we look at where all the carbon is coming from, a dense portion of it is actually, you know, your building. So when you heat your building, I mean, there's a huge amount of energy that has to go into that heating, or especially in the in the summer, everybody wants to be cool, right? But that comfort cooling, if you want your house at 68 and it's 94 outside, there's a lot of energy that's exchanged in that. And one of the biggest issues that we have is, you know, I'm an HVAC nerd, um, kind of by, by choice and by trade. Uh, it's what I grew up with. My parents were, or my mom was an HVAC engineer, my grandpa was a sales engineer in HVAC, and I've been fortunate enough the last couple of years to do a couple internships in HVAC. So, um, you know, one of the biggest parts of a building that consumes energy is obviously your HVAC system. And we have companies like Train Technologies, um, Johnson Controls, Honeywell is making controllers to start controlling the HVAC system. And really what we're seeing uh, from a sustainable front 
is how do we integrate all of those technologies into our buildings and make our buildings work nice and harmonious with each other because what happens is you know i'll take my apartment building for example right i have my own little hvac system that controls my room and i might want my room set to 64 degrees but the guy next door you know or little granny next door she's wearing a sweater and it's 90 degrees in her apartment right but there's a lot of heat transfer that goes between the walls so if granny next door has a, a 90 degree apartment and i want mine at 64 the hvac system has to work overtime to compensate for both of us so one of the things that is being developed is a, a control system for to put um, dampers in buildings so that the energy is transferred less between rooms so that when you condition a space, you can keep that energy in that space, right? Um, I think that's one of the biggest things that we have to talk about personally as a, as a society when it comes to sustainability is how sustainable is maybe, maybe not your temperature setting, you know, because we need a certain temperature to live at, but how sustainable is the system that sets or keeps your house at that temperature, right? And how do we go about replacing that? And HVAC replacement is super expensive, but how do we get the government to start incentivizing those replacements? Because old homes, the ones that have an HVAC system from the 1940s, 50s, 60s, they still run off of really, really old technologies, really old refrigerants that have been banned because of their really, really poor um, if they leak, they're really harmful to the environment. You know, like carbon has, we talk about this other number, global warming potential of, of certain emissions. And this global warming potential, you know, is based off of if a carbon atom is left in the atmosphere for 100 years, how much heat does it generate? So what we do is we take that and we break it up. There's methane that is one of those statistics. And methane is 24 times more harmful to the environment than the carbon is. But we have a refrigerant like R22, which is commonly used in really old HVAC systems, that is about 40,000 times worse than one carbon atom. So you've got old homes that are still utilizing these really old systems that are incredibly harmful to the environment. And when you have to replace one of those systems, you have to rebuild that really harmful thing. Or you have to order a brand new machine that costs way more than your original one. So most people, me included, would financially, it's more easy, more feasible for me to buy that really old HVAC system and replace my current HVAC system with a, a similar model. Um, but how do we, you know, we need to start having programs that incentivize, okay, you could buy that, but we're going to impose a penalty on you because it's inefficient carbon-wise. So you should go with a newer model Otherwise, we're going to penalize you. And that, that kind of brings the price competitiveness into a balance and allows consumers to buy a more sustainable product so that their house can be more sustainable. And again, I feel like I've been talking a lot. <laughs> no, no, no. I, um, think, I think it's good. Um, you talked about incentives towards um, mm -hmm. being more sustainable. You went towards the penalty side of buying an old thing. Mm -hmm. I think um, a great incentive is kind of showing um, that by being more sustainable, you save money. My mm -hmm. family invested in geothermal um, heating and cooling yes. for our house. I... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so we're going back to connecting to the earth. 
were mm-hmm. using the Earth's heat um, and uh, cooling abilities to heat and cool our house. So mm-hmm. in the summer, it stays really cool. I love my bedroom in the basement because it's so cold. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, in the winter, it stays very warm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just by utilizing that, you kind of see this connection towards the earth. You also mm-hmm. get the benefit of saving so much on your electricity bill. Um, and yes, it is expensive to um, switch over to geothermal if you have a traditional HVAC system. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the long run, you see those benefits. You see, I'm saving this much on my electricity bill this month. Mm-hmm. I I am going to save this much this year. I'm going to save this much in this many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and by doing that, you get to see, oh, if I had stayed with this old HVAC system, I would most likely have to replace it again mm-hmm. because it is an old um, unit. Mm-hmm. And if the government does decide to penalize me for that, I would have to pay this much more money. Mm-hmm. And you'd almost even out to um, switching to a more sustainable option. That doesn't have to be geothermal, just even a newer HVAC system that Mm -hmm. doesn't utilize that refrigerant um, and coolant. Uh, Just just picking the most sustainable option that also fits within your budget, I think, Mm -hmm. is a great opportunity. Um, Kind of weighing your options to, say... I know this is expensive now. I may not be able to do this other thing with my money now that I'm getting this. But in the long run, I will be able to save more money and also help the earth. Yeah, and I think you bring up a, a fantastic point with the the whole savings uh, thing. I worked at a company where their their motto was reduce your building's waistline, and they had you know. A building and it was wrapped in a in a belt and the belt was getting tighter but anyways um so that company i worked for um, they fully admitted going into a lot of their sales that they were never going to be the cheapest option but a lot of companies that are in that boat that are pitching the really sustainable options they have what's called a like payback plan so they guarantee that you are going to save x amount of energy on your on your system what they do is they if you don't save that estimated amount of money, um, that company that promised you you'll save will pay the difference, right? So there's a lot of companies that have that financial incentive um, or give out a financial incentive for buying a more expensive product with the promise that, A, you will save um, if you do buy this product. What a lot of people, I think, don't realize about the whole sustainability game is it really is a long game. If you're going to buy a solar panel, for that solar panel to pay for itself, it's got to pay for itself over 20 years. Or even that geothermal system that you're talking about, I mean, that thing will pay for itself over how many years? But a lot of consumers and a lot of homeowners now, if you think about it, how long have you stayed in most of your homes, right? Yeah, I've stayed in my home my whole life. Um, My dad even, we we bought a solar panel as well. Mm -hmm. My dad was complaining about the price um, Mm -hmm. and... I was like, I straight up asked him, I was like, but do you see yourself living here long enough for it to pay off? Mm -hmm. And he just sat down and thought and was like, yeah, like I, 
I'm gonna save this amount of money, it's gonna pay for itself eventually, mm -hmm. um, and in the meantime, you're helping create a more sustainable earth. Absolutely. And then, I guess on the flip side of that, there's a lot of people that, for whatever reasons, I mean, jobs, or, you know, they need a bigger house because they're buying kids, it's not exactly financially feasible to, to do one of those things because you're going to put a solar system on it and this thing's going to pay for itself for 20, 25 years, but you're only going to live in the house for five. So as a as an investor, it's really hard to, in in some people's eyes, it's really hard to invest in that, especially, you know, me as a, an apartment renter, right? I can convince the landlord to invest in it all I want, but if the landlord decides, well, I'm, I'm going to sell this property in five years, you know, because I'll have made my profit on it and I want to buy a bigger building, you know, is that, is that landlord going to invest in it, you know? And how do we, I guess that's the thing too, how do we convince people that might not be staying there long term to invest in these projects? And I think that's one of the things that the government has done. A, I don't think they do a lot of things well, but I, I guess nobody really, really does if you're paying, paying somebody money and you're not getting the exact results you want, right? Um, but I think one of the things they do really, really well is, is the sustainability aspect of it and giving the incentives to a lot of homeowners. I think there is a tax write-off if you do have a renewable energy system that, you know, again, you write it on your taxes and that is, that's money that just bounces right back to you. And it's every single year that you have that renewable energy system on. So along with the, okay, I'm saving a lot of energy, you know, I'm saving X amount of my energy bill, there's a lot of people who are also getting the government feedback money for their renewable energy system or if you buy a new HVAC system um, I don't know if there's any any grants for that that's something I'm not knowledgeable on but if we had a grant for it or if there was a tax write-off you know if you could prove that you saved X amount of energy a year and then you got a bonus tax credit there's a lot of people that could take advantage of that um, and those systems I mean you st you're starting to see them now especially with the entire carbon neutral by 2030 goal that we all have, you're starting to see a lot of those incentives um, come to life and, and people are learning about them. I think that's another big issue. I know we just had a podcast on education, right? but I think that's another big issue is, you know, people, there are these programs out there, but people just don't know how to get them and people aren't learning about them, you know? So how do we, you know, as a sustainability committee, as a podcast, um, and even as, as people, research these incentives and then what do we do once we know that the incentives out there right because i can sit here and i can preach to you oh there are these incentives but you know kind of when you go and buy your first house you're going to be like oh i know that ben knew something about solar but no right like so that's something that i think that we have to do better is teach people so that they know where to go when making the big purchases they know how to get the money that they need to make these big purchases. Yeah, I think um, education is a key. I know you guys did um, a podcast on that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think just kind of doing research before you make one of those big purchases. I know that housing, uh, especially for college students, especially after graduation, mm -hmm. buying your first house, <laughs> buying or renting an apartment even, um, I think kind of just exposing yourself to if I buy this house with this renewable energy, how will it benefit me in the long run rather mm -hmm. than buying a house with an old HVAC system that most likely will 
not work in the next 10 years um, mm -hmm. or you will be penalized in the next 10 years for using that and just making sure that you know all of your options and weigh all of those options before you make a big purchase mm -hmm. is a key factor in just kind of living a more sustainable life. I know that we've kind of tried to define sustainability, but just kind of, yeah, weighing your options, I would say, is a key factor in sustainability to help the earth rather than just getting what you need in the easiest possible way. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great, great way to sum it up. And um, I know that this kind of became the, the Ben and Connor show, to be honest, today. <laughs> um, but it honestly, I, I'm glad, um, you know, that even, even though, you know, you might not have the complete knowledge of all things sustainability, I mean, it's... It's honestly awesome to come on this podcast every week and hear different people. And even though, you know, I've I've been introduced to the world of HVAC and the world of renewable energies for my job, um, it's always kind of dumbfounding when I come in and bring a guest on the show. You know, how our goals are super similar, right? Like we both want to be super sustainable, and the only difference between you know you being super sustainable and me being super sustainable is well a the money because we're both super broke but the uh the only difference is, is really that that education that knowledge um so hopefully you learn something coming on the podcast and again thank you for making it today uh, yeah. really appreciate that thanks for having me of course um but yeah i i think that for next week not to set our topic early but i think i'll continue on that that educational thing um and we'll do a bit of research and loop back next week uh, for a podcast on, you know, what are some of those incentives so that we can get it to the people that matters um, about to the homeowners that are that are out there today um, that have no idea. So thank you for listening into the Green Screen Podcast. It's been a blast. Thank you, Connor and Eliana and uh, Corbin as well for making it this week. I hope you all have a great day, and we will see you next week on Friday for another episode of Green Screen Podcast.